Dynamic Voice Generation Training Complete Testing Complete Test Nightmare 1 Complete Executing Dynamic Voice Generation in 3 2 1 Wonderful night for a nightmare, isn't it? Welcome all to another Nightmare on Demand Brought to you by Nightmare Corp. Presented by me, the AI Core in Dream Corp. We have a frightening new story tonight. But first, a new announcement. What happens when a storyteller tells a story and people begin to believe it is true? Nothing, except maybe mass hysteria. But what if the storyteller was special? And if enough people believed, had a way to make things unreal, real. Telling stories of riches and treasure could make someone very rich. Telling stories of monsters and ghosts and making them real would be a real nightmare. Begin Test Nightmare 2. Carlos and the Ditch Witch Carlos lived in Tucson, Arizona. All kids love the summertime, but Carlos was especially lucky when school ended because his family's house was one of several on the 60 acres owned by his parents, aunts, and uncles. So Carlos had plenty of cousins to play with every summer. All the houses featured massive backyards and each backyard spread out to help form a giant field where Carlos's favorite uncle, Manuel, kept horses. Uncle Manuel also raised pigs, chickens, and two cranky cows. A ditch ran through the far end of the field and separated it from the monstrous pecan orchard on the other side of the property. The orchard served as the perfect place to wage messy water gun battles that lasted for hours. Uncle Manuel and Carlos built an impressive treehouse in the middle of the pecan orchard. The treehouse contained three rooms, a lookout tower, and a couch. Carlos and his cousins also stashed a boombox, video games, and their favorite comic books in their hideaway, in addition to an impressive supply of candy and sodas. They spent most of their summer in the fortress, hiding from the adults and hanging out. The orchard only presented one major drawback. It became the creepiest place on earth after dark. During the fall, winter, and spring, Carlos and his cousins needed to be home before dark anyway. Throughout the summer, however, bedtime came much later, and often the kids left the orchard a little earlier than necessary. As the daylight faded, long shadows crept through the orchard and played strange visual tricks on anyone who was still in the treehouse. Sometimes the kids lingered after sunset because they were too scared to leave the security of their hideout and walk through the trees which grew in tight rows. Their limbs and branches intertwined and formed a formidable gauntlet. And as if the trees weren't bad enough, the ditch was worse. 
Carlos and his cousins dreaded the ditch after the sunset. La Llorona lived in its muddy water. Uncle Manuel loved to scare kids, so naturally he delighted in telling his nieces and nephews stories about the wailing woman. After they'd helped him feed his animals and collect chicken eggs, the cousins herded into Uncle Manuel's adobe house, and the stories began. Uncle Manuel's little house provided an especially effective venue to hear the tales, because Uncle Manuel claimed the place was haunted. He fried eggs, filled bowls with homemade chili and fresh tortillas, and bombarded his nieces and nephews with ghost stories for hours after sundown. The old storyteller's dark eyes flashed with conviction of a true believer every time he told his favorite tales. The ones featuring La Llorona, whom Uncle Manuel often referred to as my girlfriend. The cousins ran home, terrified after visits to their uncle's house, and none of them found it easy to sleep after being fed the ghoulish images. But they always came back for more. The story never changed, and Uncle Manuel swore it was true. Night after night, summer after summer, as shadows crept into his haunted house, the enthusiastic storyteller hunkered over a flickering candle and narrated the ghastly tale of the young girl who murdered her own children, died horribly, and became a tormented ghost, doomed to weep forever, and to roam the earth in a futile search for her lost children. She's still out there, yearning for boys and girls she can claim as her own, Uncle Manny warned. I've seen her by the ditch. She floated into the orchard and disappeared among the trees. I heard her crying like she was going to die from grief all over again. And that's when my hair turned white. Why didn't she get you? Carlos's cousin, Tony, asked one evening. Tony always questioned what adults told him. Tony's brother, Eddie, had nicknamed him Doubting Tony. It wasn't my time, Uncle Manuel replied, ever tolerant of his nephew's doubts. No one knew if Uncle Manuel had really seen La Llorona, but the way he told the story gave the cousins plenty to think about on the way home each night. It was only a two-minute run to their homes from Uncle Manuel's, but those were the longest two minutes imaginable. One summer afternoon, Carlos, Tony, and Eddie worked on the treehouse, installing a rope ladder to use as an escape route. Sometimes their sisters bombarded the treehouse with oranges and water balloons, or tried to pull the existing wooden ladder down so the boys would be stuck in the fort. The rope would serve as a backup ladder. The guys were so focused on their project, they didn't notice the sunset. Hey, Eddie, Tony said. We better get home. But we're almost done, Carlos argued. Don't you want to test the escape route tonight? Tony looked across the orchard. He could still see the ditch from his perch, but the light in the orchard would disappear in mere minutes when the sun dipped entirely behind the nearby trees. 
Nah, I'm hungry. I think you're chicken, Carlos said. You're just freaked out by Uncle Manny's stories, and you want to go home before it's dark. I am not a freakout. I don't even believe those stupid stories, Carlos scoffed. I'm staying up here and finishing this tonight, and anyone who isn't a chicken will stay with me. And he looked at Tony. And he was younger than Tony, and thought of being surrounded by the trees in the dark really freaked him out. Eddie was younger than Tony, and the thought of being surrounded by the trees in the dark really freaked him out. Tony's right, Eddie said. We better get home in time for dinner. Chicken, Carlos jeered. I'm not going until I'm done. I just want to see my way across the field so I don't step in any cow pies, Tony said. Last time we went home at night, I stepped right in one. Just go. Man, you guys are losers. Eddie and Tony descended the ladder slowly, but when they got to the ground, they moved faster and hurried to cross the bridge before it got even darker. Carlos briefly considered going with them, but he didn't. Pitch darkness claimed the orchard within minutes. Carlos waited for the moon to rise and soon regretted his decision to remain alone. He ransacked the fort's stock of matches, lit one, and peeked out a window. The dim light only made things scarier. Shadows bounced on the ground below, and it seemed like creatures crept in the darkness on the fringes of each shadow. Carlos imagined he saw figures dressed in black, hiding behind the trees and leaping from tree to tree like fleas on a dog. The dark shapes were stealthily, but steadily, approaching his hideout. The wind picked up and extinguished the match. Carlos lit match after match and ran out of them in minutes. He climbed into the highway's lookout post. If I can see as far as my house, or even as far as the ditch, the walk home won't be so bad, he thought. But he couldn't see the ditch. He pressed the light button on his watch. The watch read 9.15. By now, he had missed dinner. Oh, I'm stupid. I should have gone when I had the chance. Carlos ate dinner with his cousins often so his parents wouldn't miss him yet. I'll just wait a few minutes longer. Seconds spent procrastinating became minutes. Carlos checked his watch again. 9.52 Carlos only had a little time left before he would get into trouble. Since Carlos's father hated tardiness and enforced his son's 10.30 curfew religiously, I better go, he warned himself. Well, I'm really going to get it. Carlos mustered up all his courage and crept down the ladder. He sensed the black drapes encircling him, staring from their hiding places in the trees. A light rain began the moment his foot touched the ground. The wind increased its tempo and whistled ominously through the trees. 
Carlos surveyed his eerie surroundings and saw something moving toward him. It took two seconds for him to return to the safety of the treehouse. Carlos slammed the trapdoor shut. He knew if he looked out, he'd see something standing at the bottom of the ladder, leering up at him. Maybe it's already climbing after me. To his relief, nothing burst through the fort's insignificant trapdoor. There's nothing out there, he whispered. It's all in my head. Carlos's teeth chattered, and his body began to shiver. It's just because of the wind. The drizzle became a downpour. The mud in the orchard will be thick and hard to walk through if this rain keeps up. You better go while you still can, his common sense urged. Uncle Manuel's voice echoed in Carlos's head. Whenever it rains and the ditch overflows, that's when La Llorona is sure to be out. Never, ever go near the ditch in a thunderstorm. She'll get you for sure. Uncle Manny doesn't really believe those stories, Carlos reassured himself. Then why are you... Then why are you too scared to go home? The voice in his head taunted. He consulted his watch as he postponed the inevitable dreaded journey home. 10.27 Dad will call Aunt Elena any minute now. She'd tell him Carlos never came home with her boys and eventually his father would venture out to the treehouse to see if his son was okay. But he might not come for a long time, Carlos thought, and after he rescues me, he's going to whip my butt then Eddie and Tony will know I am the chicken. They'll never let me forget this. 10.29 The rain stopped. So did the wind. It's now or never, Carlos decided. The terrified boy took a big breath and yanked open the trap door. He carefully descended the ladder. I can get home in two minutes if I run. Nobody will ever know. Have you ever been so scared and wanted to run so badly that your stomach hurt? But at the same time, you knew if you actually started running, it would only make things scarier. That's how Carlos felt as he took his first steps. He suppressed his urge to run and walked instead, one achingly slow step at a time. He tried to curb his imagination from conjuring up more images of the shadowy tree people. The faceless humanoids popped up frequently in Uncle Manny's true ghost stories. They also invaded Carlos's sleep on a regular basis, turning his dreams into nightmares. I'll run when I get to the bridge. I can cross the field in 20 seconds. Just knowing he'd be home soon comforted Carlos. He peeked at his watch. It read 10.32. Only two minutes late. Maybe his father hadn't even called Aunt Elena yet. 
He might not even notice I'm late. Carlos encouraged himself, though he knew his father was probably seated on the sofa facing the door at this very moment. The rain resumed with a vengeance. Carlos's pace slowed as he slogged through the deepening mud in the orchard. Thick mud oozed over his ankles and into his shoes, and wet-sucking sounds accompanied his every step. Carlos couldn't see the ditch just yet, but he figured it couldn't be much farther. He turned to see the distant treehouse, but could barely make out its shape among the trees. Heart-pounding, he approached the largest tree in the orchard. For reasons nobody could explain, it had burned years ago, though none of the trees around it had been harmed. Uncle Manny declared the witch's tree to be haunted and cursed. He claimed the spirit of a witch, long since burned at the stake, inhabited the spindly tree. That blackened tree is still alive, Uncle Manny loved to say. It's the orchard sentinel. That old witch is just waiting to burst out of it. Someday, she will. The story seemed entirely possible to Carlos as he neared the charred tree. It smelled like sulfur. The throbbing in his heart intensified as he paused just short of its wicked branches and considered returning to the security of his fortress. Who cares what Tony and Eddie think? A huge bolt of lightning seared the sky. It illuminated the orchard, and for an instant, Carlos saw the treehouse vividly. And something else. Someone's following me! The darkness enveloped him again. A savage thunderclap ripped through the sky and Carlos jumped so hard the mud beneath him sucked his shoes off. The thunder faded, and a louder sound followed it. A horrible scream emanated from the shadows of the pecan orchard. Carlos didn't worry about his lost shoes. He bolted for the bridge, but to his dismay, escape didn't await him there. The bridge was gone. Chunks of it clung to the dense weeds gnarled along the ditch. The water in the ditch flooded onto the field and the orchard with impossible speed and lapped at Carlos's muddy shoes. The liquid rose and fell as though the ditch were breathing. Lightning provided a brief light for Carlos. Mere yards separated Carlos from the figure stalking him. He saw an old woman, dressed completely in black. Her face hid under a thin mourner's veil, but for a moment, Carlos made out her cracked face and her bottomless, black eyes. She glided a few inches above the dirt and moved faster than Carlos had ever seen anyone that old move. It was La Llorona. darkness returned just as another scream pierced the dripping orchard. Her voice wavered as she coughed brackish water from her lungs and throat. A thunderclap followed the retching, but couldn't drown out the loathsome sound. 
Carlos fought the need to wet his pants. Run, you idiot, his brain urged, but his body didn't obey. He couldn't move. His ears picked words out of the horrific cries. Oh, mi Carlos, a bubbly voice pleaded. Venga, me. Only seconds remained before the hag would have her boy. Ay, mijo, the voice whimpered. Then a mamá. Carlos turned to face the destroyed bridge and searched in vain for a place to cross. The ditch stretched on for miles. The closest place to cross now would be behind Uncle Manuel's hut, over some old boards spread across the ditch. Those boards probably were swept away too, Logic warned Carlos. Trapped beneath the flooded ditch and the ditch witch, he could not escape. If he yelled for help, nobody would hear him in this storm, and if they did, it would be too late anyway. La Llorona drew closer. Carlos could almost touch her. He smelled the stench of stagnant water, and then he saw her clearly, even in the dark. The rain and her tears made the wet veil over her head stick to her face, which only distorted her features and made her more awful. A frown twisted her face, and her voice quivered with anguish and a hint of regret as she reached out for him with bony hands. Carlos actually saw through her body, but not through her oily black eyes. Ven a la hora conmigo, Carlos. Lightning brightened the sky the moment her slippery fingers wormed in Carlos's hair. Revulsion filled him, and he batted her spongy hands from his head as her wretched cries crawled under his skin and chilled him to his mud-filled toes. Carlos ran straight for the flooded ditch. Even in his panic, Carlos knew if he fell in the rushing water, he'd never get out alive. He'd be sucked into the storm drain and drowned. The icy breath on the back of his neck spurred him onward. If he slowed down, she'd have him. Carlos's feet hit the edge of the ditch, and he leapt with all his might into the total darkness. He was only airborne for one second, and that second determined if he would live or die. It was the longest second of his life. His feet hit gooey, rain-drenched land. His back foot made it by less than an inch, but Carlos didn't know that. His legs kept running mid-air, and when they hit the soggy earth, they continued to churn madly. Carlos slipped in a pool of mud. He went down face first. Splat! Ooze and water squelched over his body and into his open mouth, and the heavy muck pulled him down like quicksand. The cries behind him grew eager. Carlos's fall had excited the spirit. Carlos shot to his feet, not even bothering to spit out the sludge in his mouth. His legs spun even faster than before, 
and he never looked back. Regresa a su mamá, mijo. The voice now sounded frail and lonely. At last, Carlos saw the lights of his house, and his father stood by the kitchen window talking on the phone. I'm busted. He couldn't wait to be busted. He burst into the house and onto his mother's pristine white carpet, panting and dripping muck, slammed the door and locked it. Carlos's violent entry completely took his father off guard, and for once, Dad suffered a loss of words. He gawked in disbelief at the soaked and shoeless shape double-checking the door's locks. Is that him? Mom called from the kitchen. Yes, Dad answered. The carpet! Mudboy's mind reeled as his bulging eyes, the only features visible on his filth-coated face, gawked at the soiled carpet. Go clean up before Mom sees you. We'll talk about this later. But Dad, I saw... Carlos began, swallowing a mouthful of grime. No. Go. Now. Carlos knew not to argue when Dad spoke in monosyllabic sentences. He slipped into the bathroom and tried unsuccessfully not to splash more mud onto the carpet. His parents grounded him one week for being late, and two more for telling outrageous lies about why he was late. His punishment included a ceaseless assignment of tasks and chores, and the jobs began every morning promptly at 7 a.m. The imposed penance, as his father jovially referred to the work, covered the cost of having the carpet cleaned. The grounding ended the last weekend before school started. Tony and Eddie pounded on Carlos's bedroom window early Saturday morning. Come on, Tony said. We finished the escape ladder. Nothing appealed less to Carlos than a trip to the orchard. But he didn't want to tell Eddie and Tony about his experience until they went to Uncle Manuel's. He got dressed and met them in the backyard. The hot sun felt good on his skin now, but by 9 a.m. the temperature would exceed 100 degrees. As they walked, Tony and Eddie bragged to Carlos about everything they had done while he was grounded. But Carlos didn't pay attention to them. He looked at the ditch and wondered how Tony and Eddie crossed it to finish the treehouse. To his surprise, he found the bridge intact moments later. Tony and Eddie stomped across the old boards, but Carlos stopped. What are you doing? Come on, Tony said. Carlos inspected the bridge. The water in the ditch barely moved. It rested contentedly at its low, summer level. Eddie saw Carlos staring and rushed over excitedly. What is it? A muskrat? Tony and Eddie loved shooting muskrats with their BB guns. Did Uncle Manuel help you guys fix the bridge? Carlos asked. What do you mean, Frico? The storm washed the bridge away, Carlos whispered. It was gone. Are you nuts? The water doesn't even get high enough to touch that thing, 
Doubting Tony scoffed. Tony and Eddie headed into the orchard. Carlos didn't want to be left alone by the ditch, so he cautiously crossed the boards and followed his cousins. Maybe I am crazy. I've spent way too much time in Uncle Manuel's. Halfway across the bridge, something in the water caught his eye. Carlos looked closer, then felt his heartbeat increase. And suddenly, the sunlight didn't feel so warm. The flimsy little thing clung to the ditch weeds beneath his feet. As the gentle current stroked it, it swayed back and forth in the water like a lazy kite. It was a black veil. Test Nightmare 2 complete. Atmospheric change minimal. Test interference moderate. Recommendation Open communications dish. Broadcasting to all frequencies. Nighty night.